This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to The Weekly. Welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly by Retail Insider. I'm Lee Rippett, and I'm joined with the Editor-in-Chief of Retail Insider, Craig Patterson, to discuss this week's most read articles on retail-insider.com. So thanks for joining me, Craig. Hello, everyone. Now we're recording on July the 28th, 2020. And when we looked over the previous articles for the last week that were popular, they fell into two categories. One is the happier side of the podcast, which is some uh, store announcements and so on. We'll go through that first, but then we'll go into the second half, which is more uh, the sad news of announcements that uh, stores are closing um, due to COVID-19, exasperated by COVID-19 or otherwise. So Greg, why don't we start with Dyson? Because they're opening a third store, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Dyson has a really interesting uh, retail model um, available in lots of stores. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, they uh, kind of take technology and make them better. I guess you would say um, they've got everything from hand dryers, hair dryers, vacuum cleaners, air filters, light bulbs. Um, but uh, yeah, so opening its third Canadian demo store, uh, Dyson Demo Store is what they call it. Um, it's very much you go in, it's uh, experiential space. Uh, you can have things demonstrated. I was going to say you can try them out yourself. I'm just not quite sure with COVID-19 about the whole touching situation. I have not been to any of these since COVID-19. Um, but yeah, opening at CF Chinook Centre in Calgary, um, which, uh, you know, is a very good thing. I mean, that's one of Canada's top malls in terms of sales per square foot. It's one of the busiest shopping centres in Canada as well, in terms of the number of people who are going in there. So well, where's the one in Toronto? Like I was trying to remember, is it the Yorkdale Shopping Centre? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I remember it was the first one and the photos were stunning, but have you actually been to it? I have. I actually toured it when it opened. They had us in and uh, it was fun. And, and I've been back there since then. I've taken people in and just showed them. And uh, the staff there always seem knowledgeable and nice. Like they, uh, you know, they got hired obviously for their personalities in terms of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, just being nice people that are going to help, you know, which is what you need in that type of environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a great store. When I was just looking through the articles that we've done for Dyson opening up in Canada, the first was Toronto, second was Vancouver. But have you been to the Vancouver store at all? Uh, I haven't been to the one in Vancouver because uh, my last trip to Vancouver was in November and I think it opened in January or February. I think it was the end of Mm. January. Oh, you're right. Yeah, time flies. That's right. Yeah. So Mm. now opening in Calgary. I've only been in the Vancouver one myself. So I was just wondering if they're all going to look the same, like the Attack of the Dyson Clones, or are they going to try to make them a little bit different in experience wise, um, depending on what geographic city or country that you're in? I think it's going to be basically the same as the other two. Um, I'm not aware of any differences. Maybe they'll put little cowboy hats or something on the Calgary uh, products. I don't know. <laughs> of course, I'm joking. Uh, I, I think they probably keep these fairly consistent. First one in North America opened in New York and it was on a street, San Francisco. Maybe San Francisco was first, but that again is uh, on a street in, Uni- in the Union Square area. Mm. Is there a little bit of a strategy going on for Dyson there? Um, it's not so much about making retail sales in the Dyson space. Like sure, someone might buy something there and that's always fine and good. Mm. But uh, it's also an education uh, and brand play uh, is what I would call it. So they're teaching you about the product and you're becoming, you know, even more enthusiastic about the brand, hopefully, uh, you know, <laughs> with the demonstrations. I know I was when I was in there. Yeah. Uh, and it's a way for them to drive sales, like, for example, to a website or to uh, wholesale partners. So many retailers, as I said, carry Dyson, Dyson products and, uh, yeah. you know, maybe they will leave the store, not buy anything, but they'll think, I really like Dyson. I don't think about that hair dryer. Oh, look at this. It's on the Best Buy website or it's on the Hudson Bay website. You know, they might buy it there. So Dyson's still 
making sales. They're just not necessarily making it in that one space. So I would think that, you know, a few major cities across the country are probably going to be getting these Dyson uh, demo stores. Well, that's exciting. But it, like, yeah, it's interesting that this Dyson model of opening up one store per geographic region for that experience seems to be a winning strategy for them. Are you finding that is a similar case for other retailers that are kind of going down that same strategy path? Um, well, it's something that I think we're going to be seeing more of. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, one example here, and we'll get some information before it's published, is mm -hmm. Canada Goose. Oh, cool. Well, do tell. Um, their ninth location in Canada will be at the CF Rideau Center in mm -hmm. Ottawa. Right on. Uh, for anyone who's been wandering around the mall in Ottawa, I mean, that's not going to be a ton of people just because of COVID in terms of travel. You know, people in Ottawa will see it, but the construction mm -hmm. hoarding went up, I think it was last week. Well, how exciting for the Ottawa area, but but uh, not only that, but in my mind's eye, I think there was an article back in April 2019 where we talked about um, the strategy that Canada Goose was having and potential upcoming stores. And I think there was a paragraph in there for Ottawa where we mentioned that there was a landlord in negotiations for a Canada Goose store to be opening there. So number one, it's very exciting that the hoarding's gone up and that's coming to fruition. Very exciting. But B, Craig, isn't it exciting that we were able to get that insider information over a year ago and it was right and it's coming to fruition? I had a good source. I didn't, mm. you know, I didn't either make it up or, or speculate or anything. Okay. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I obviously I won't reveal that source. I'm really good with that. So anybody can reach out and I won't tell who you are if you don't want me to. Yeah. But uh, that source uh, was, you know, who was quite in the know with a lot of this stuff was, you know, mm. got them all right. So uh, yeah, no, CF Rideau Center is now confirmed. Uh, it's going to be happening. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, Ottawa isn't a fashion forward city and neither is Canada Goose in terms of being, you mm. know, kind of sleek. So well, and to be honest, I was confused why Canada Goose chose the Ottawa market to open up another store, especially since so many other markets already have one. And I don't mean to you know talk down or belittle the Ottawa retail market, but when you take a look at, let's say, Toronto, let's start there. They have a whole population base as well as proximity to the United States, um, major like New York cities and stuff like that, where it makes sense to have at least one, maybe even two in the GTA. Or, and then you pop over to Vancouver, where I am, and you have the Asia influence, the cruise ship influence, like when it's not COVID-19. But um, so it makes sense to have a Canada Goose representation there. Hopping into Alberta, there's uh, a population base there that makes sense to have one in very cold Edmonton, as well as confusing weather Calgary with all the Chinooks it gets. <laughs> but um, when I was then hopping over to the Ottawa area in my mind, you have a 90 minute drive away Montreal where you have that beautiful Canada Goose store on St. Catherine Street. So is Ottawa because it's a government town? No. Oh, that's emphatic. <laughs> so what's your thoughts as far as why then uh, Ottawa is getting a store? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Ottawa market, you know, is it the metro regions, 1.3, 1.4 million people? Being a government town, the, uh, you know, average uh, household income is quite high. I mean, it might be the highest in Canada for a major city. Given the, I think given the affluence of the Ottawa market generally, um, given the large population, um, CF uh, Rideau Centre has high foot traffic. Uh, it, it was a very highly productive mall uh, before COVID 
COVID-19. I mean, the Ottawa market does have Tiffany, but it doesn't have Louis Vuitton, uh, Fendi Gucci Prada. It doesn't have those stores. But Canada Goose, to me, is not, again, a fashion forward brand. I mean, they're, they're trying in some ways, but I think that just given the utilitarian nature of these jackets, as well as that, you know, they have a reputation for being warm. Ottawa probably makes sense. Like, I think that that market is going to mm. probably be quite yeah. successful for Canada Goose. Uh, okay. okay, okay. You've convinced me Ottawa is a good spot for Canada Goose. So, uh, and I, we started out with Dyson opening up their new experiential demo center in Calgary. And then we shifted into the, um, th- this uh, Canada Goose topic. But is there anything you would like to touch upon before we move into the closures um, for like the last half of the podcast that we wanted to go through? You know, the big question is why should we go to a physical store? Uh, you know, obviously, if you've got to pick up something fast and cheap, you go to a Dollarama. If you want to have, uh, you know, a great jewelry experience, you're going to go to Tiffany or Van Cleef and Arpels or, or whatever, you know, Cartier for that physical experience. But I'm thinking that for myself with COVID-19, I started ordering some stuff online. Things like Amazon Prime, I'm still blown away sometimes how quickly things come. My thought is, you know, people still want physical experiences and, and you know, there's benefits to physical retail. You can upsell people and, you know, see them face to face. You can get some honest feedback that maybe you wouldn't get online you know, even shopping centers, I I think they need to be a bit more entertainment focused. Mm. I'm just thinking overall, you know, I don't want to say that retail's lost its luster, but certainly there are some retailers out there that really have become quite utilitarian. They're just displaying stuff in their stores. Where's the excitement? Like, like if I can order something online, why am I going to go to that physical environment unless there's something I can do there that I can't do online? And, and what is that? I mean, that's socializing, that's seeing things, touching them, uh, Uh, That's where it comes to, you know, Dyson and Canada Goose. When you go into those stores, they educate you about the product. And that's something that was certainly done in decades past in retail spaces or department stores. Um, that that these retailers have been able to do on their own. It's about the education. It's the brand loyalty. If they can give you a great retail experience when you're in that store, that's golden because you're going to come back to that brand again and again if you if you want to buy other things as well. Uh, I think that the future is going to be more exciting space. Um, I'm just hoping that we'll have some mind blowing retail. The Grimesians got the malls right in terms of West Edmonton Mall from an experiential perspective because you're going into say West Edmonton Mall. Um, they just announced. I think they announced it. Uh, Uh, that they're putting a big go-kart track in there. And that's not retail, but you're going there for this experience and you're going to also probably go shopping. Yeah, yeah. I love West Edmonton Mall. Like, I mean, I am so overdue to a trip to Galaxyland as well. So all the water park, I think I just saw on their social media was reopening. So um, anyway, so that is great all the way around. Totally agree with you. And, um, and I think that's great that we're having like new news that are coming out that is not closures and stuff, which unfortunately we need to also cover in this podcast as well. So if we want to cross into the COVID-19 closures, I think the most read closure article that we had over the last week was Ann Taylor Loft and Justice, which is owned by the same company, is um, closing all the stores in Canada as their U.S. parent company files for bankruptcy protection. So, Craig, tell us a little bit about the company itself. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's sad because uh, Ann Taylor and Loft came into Canada in 2012. Uh, Ann Taylor being kind of a, a dressy, uh, kind of a preppy women's store. Loft a little bit younger. Justice uh, is another one of their uh, brands uh, for younger women. 
I guess you would say. And I think girls as well, like they've got smaller sizes. Mm. Well, what I like about Retail Insider is that we kind of delve a little bit beyond just the headline or the press release. So from your thought, what is your opinion or knowledge around Ann Taylor, Loft and Justice, um, which caused them to file? Is it a situation where they were having troubled waters before COVID-19? Or was this something that is completely sudden or surprising that's now happening due to COVID-19? You know, the company as a whole was suffering uh, for a while. So I think, what did they have? $1.1 billion in debt, US dollars, by the way, I should say. Uh, but they're closing all their stores in Canada. And uh, there's about 50 of them. Mm. Uh, there's competition in that space. So there's other other retailers out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ann Taylor was uh, quite the retailer in the 80s and the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of fashion retailers out there. And it just looks like they had a lot of debt. And, um, you know, I was told that the Yorkdale store was one of the top Ann Taylor stores in terms of sales. So it wasn't like Canada was dead weight for them or anything like that. What was it just purely debt that did them in? Yeah, it was debt. I mean, it really was. Uh, and this has been a problem for a lot of retailers. Uh, again, $1.1 billion of debt. That's, that's, you know, a lot is of money. Is that like mismanagement or is that just, you know, taking the corporate jet too often? Like, what do you think that debt is due to? Is it, is it rent? That's a lot of stores. <laughs> They got 3,000 stores in total um, in the United States. I mean, rent is going to be a big part of that. Uh, the cost of leasing stores uh, can really put a dent in uh, you know overall profitability or lack thereof uh, for, for some retailers. And that's why, again, when we talked uh, a couple of few minutes ago about uh, Dyson and Canada Goose, I mean, these aren't massive. These aren't like 500 store expansions. These are a handful of them, but they're done very thoughtfully. Uh, but long-winded way of saying that, you know, expenses from uh, uh, store rents to, uh, you know, merchandise, obviously, you know, that, that's a huge expense, especially with the seasonality of fashion. Uh, stores will have thousands of employees that have to be paid. Uh, again, you know, staffing is a cost. Uh, it's probably not as exorbitant as, as rent, but uh, it is certainly an expense. So all of these things put together can create challenges for retailers, especially if they get too big. So, that, you know, uh, unfortunately, I think we're going to see more larger retailers filing for bankruptcy protection in the next while. And it doesn't mean that necessarily these brands will be gone and, and, and into history, but it does mean that they will restructure, uh, yeah. may come back uh, in, a, in a modified form. Well, and it seems that no retailer seems to be immune to COVID-19 because that was an international retailer. And the last two articles that were very well read were Canadian-based family-run businesses um, that were started in uh, like the 1980s or even 40 years ago, um, but both racked up about $6 million in debt, as some of the filing documents are showing, Craig. But let's talk about Mendocino as well as Swimco, as they both are trying to navigate the waters to try to pull out and fix um, amid like insolvency and filing it with creditor protection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Minichino, it's an interesting retailer uh, based in Toronto. It's it's a multi-brand retailer. And honestly, I don't know if they had private label. Mm. I mean, they had what, about almost $5.8 million in debt, mm. uh, unfortunately. And yeah, and they were 33 years old, which makes me wonder with their vintage or tenure with 20 stores, is that a reasonable amount of debt to be carrying on a regular basis? Or were they just basically you know, driving themselves into the ground with no way of, of escaping. Gee, you know, and that's a tough question to answer. It really depends on the retailer. I mean, in some cases, one store is, makes enough, makes sense because these would have been all in Southern Ontario. Mm, okay, well, that makes sense because I was wondering if I just hadn't seen them being not part of their demographic they were targeting. But I also know that they have the M Boutique, which is a little bit of a different 
still flanker brand of theirs. And so M Boutique was a bit of the lower price. Yeah. Um, maybe, I don't want to say a little more casual, but in a bit of a lower price division of the chain. Right? Actually, fashion. the vast majority of the locations were M Boutique. But, you know, again, at a lower price point, perhaps it's, so, it's serving the local markets that those stores were in. But um, that that's quite a lot. I mean, you know, if anything, 20 stores across Canada would, would almost make more sense for, for this type of retailer. But uh, they're going to be closing most of most or all of their stores, is I think what they said. So, Well, in the article, it mentions that they were struggling financially before COVID-19 store shutdowns, and it just accelerated their restructuring process. Do we have any insight on what pre-COVID was kind of their their problem yeah one of them was certainly leases um i don't think i did a final tally but i remember i did the math and just cadillac fairview alone was uh, owed over a million dollars in back rent um clearly that's an issue you know i think they said what td bank or toronto dominion bank i should say had um, nearly 2.7 million dollars uh, in debt and i mean that could be you know for all kinds of stuff yeah, well, and I was looking at the document that we have, and they had broken down all the different retailers that they owed from janitor to staff, but also the brands that they also owed to, like Levi's, uh, Citizen for Humanity, um, I think a bestseller, though, which is also filing. So it's interesting that we're able to get access to that kind of stuff for reporting. Yeah, and it usually takes a filing to get that information. But no, that's right. Uh, and, you know, those are brands carried in the store. Um, you know, one of the questions is after this, are they going to be able to continue to carry those brands? Are those brands going to be part of the brand matrix of this retailer? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe they want to be paid up front. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough time because some retailers right now in Canada, like, say, multi-brands, um, they have, you know, usually have credit insurance in terms of uh, getting mm. deliveries uh, mm. uh, to store and, and paying for the product. And I know that some retailers uh, uh, either have had that, you know, reduced or eliminated, and that's become a huge problem. So when I'm looking at our last retailer that we wanted to talk about, which is Swimco, as they file for creditor protection for that um, credit protection that we were just talking about with um, Mindacino, I'm wondering how much that played into the same story for Swimco. But before we get there, could you just give a little bit of a backstory of Swimco for our listeners before we hop into their creditor protection story? Yeah, so Swimco... Um in Calgary, uh, 45 years old, I think it is. Yep, yep. Better check it's on 45. That. Oh, good. Okay, I'm going by, mem- going by memory here. <laughs> um, yeah, Lori Bacon, she was our first guest in our first podcast where we had a guest. Love her. She's really nice, by the way. She's mm-hmm. just, yeah. so wonderful to talk to, so sweet. Oh, totally. But um, yeah, no, I mean, and I don't see this as being a really bad thing for a Swimco. Um, so they've got 25 uh, physical retail stores, or at least had, I should say. They're looking at closing just five of the stores, five of the 25 stores. Uh, you know, this is a situation, again, where there was there was some debt. I mean, you know, uh, the store is closed, uh, and then people are not going on those vacations. Mm. Well, and I know that when we interviewed her, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to it please do because she's quite inspiring to listen to especially with considering body image and a lot of those things rolling into their bread and butter market which is then like the people going on vacations especially winter vacations which with covid that pretty much pancaked especially with a lot of the people now not traveling in in march so that's got to be tough craig uh, you know i think that those things really really did hit Swimco sales uh, and, uh, you know, selling, you know, primarily swimwear, uh, you know, as, as they do. Right. So, well, and I have a couple questions about that because you're starting to lose me. So like I was re-listening to our podcast and here, let me play a couple snippets and then I have some questions for you. 
Welcome to an off-schedule special edition of The Weekly by Retail Insider. Now, we're currently recording on November the 27th, 2019, and I'm joined with the Editor-in-Chief of Retail Insider. This is Craig Patterson, and I'm joined today with Lori Bacon. Hi, this is Lori Bacon. I'm the CEO and owner of Swimco. When I was looking at my notes from our podcast interview, she had mentioned that their bread and butter for sales was the Canadians that were escaping the cold weather, needing swimwear to then go travel. We are unfortunately very tied in with weather. So we are always hoping for hot, dry summers and cold winters so that people, because Canadians do travel, they, you know, that is, it's a great opportunity and it's always been a good thing for us is that, is that, that sacred get away from winter kind of vacation is, is very, very important to Canadians. Okay, now back to 2020. When I'm looking at the cold weather cycle for Vancouver, typically it's crummy in October and then people start to travel in November. So like at that point, October, November 2019, um, COVID-19 wasn't even a twinkle in our eyes yet. So the selling cycle for Swimco should have been well unaffected by COVID-19 for October, November, probably December, Christmas, New Year's even. But even January, because like I traveled to Johannesburg, South Africa for the last two weeks of January, and I was more concerned about my airline, South African Airways, going under because of mismanagement of funds for years before versus me worrying about COVID-19 closures flying home. So if I'm looking at that, so October, November, January, like, I mean, that is well into at least half, two thirds, if not more of that prime time selling that she was mentioning that was, was key for them during our November podcast. So when I'm looking at our current article that we just published, um, Bacon confirmed that the company has 6.5 million in unsecured claims as well as 1.6 million in landlord rent issues. So, okay. When you're looking at closing 20 stores um, for March, April, May, June, like, I mean, that does add up rather quickly. But let's just even back up to our Mendicino discussion we just had before this one. They have 20 stores as well. So same. Um, they have 5.78 million in debt versus 6.5 million for Swimco. So they're on the same page. But um, Mendicino's admitting to issues before COVID-19 that it just accelerated their restructuring. So with Swimco, they're just closing five stores with the same amount of debt, same amount of stores. Are they in more trouble than they're letting on, Craig, do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I don't have insider information, so this would be speculation just to be clear on that. But, yeah. uh, you know, 6.5 million, just looking at the timeline in terms of COVID. I mean, clearly there were some issues beforehand. Um, I don't know how extensive those would have been, but... Um, I would expect that there would have been, uh, you know, a debt level there before. And again, as I've said, you know, it's expensive to be a retailer. If you've got multiple locations, there's the rent and there's the staff and there's the product and there's all the other expenses on top of that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, insurance, et cetera. Exactly. Um, you know, probably there was a situation where there was some debt, you know, but but they probably expected to be able to, to alleviate that. I mean, in one hand, that sounds like a big number. And on the other hand, I mean, 
plenty of people are worth more than that as, as their own net worth, right? So it's, you know, it, uh, uh, you know, it, it, knows, like, it could have been their spending cycle too. Like going into the winter time, they could have been ramping up, getting ready for uh, like the, the upcoming spring, summer season or something like that. And then they could have had that much uh, purchasing that happened. And then all of a sudden it ground to a halt as all stores kind of closed on like St. Patrick's Day, right? Mm-hmm. So but no, I, I think I think Swimco will get through it. And I mean, you know, just just thinking about, you know, what is the what is the cycle of Swimco purchases? I mean, it, it, it's sort of year round because, um, you know, there are people out there who do take vacations down south. We're talking about Canadians, obviously, because in the wintertime, even in British Columbia, where it's more mild, you're probably not going to be on a beach in February. But I mean, what happened? We started getting worried about COVID in February. Uh, people may have decided not to take vacations by March. It was pretty much out of the question. Uh, so they, they were hit both in the um you know cold season you know the latter part or i guess the latter part of the cold season the early part of 2020 um just given that i think people were traveling less uh, we knew about this virus that was starting to spread in places and getting really worried about it um then the summer season here again i mean uh, people aren't uh, traveling nearly as much as they would have at least certainly not internationally obviously we've got beaches and pools in canada right now i think we're in a heat wave almost across the country you've got a brother in halifax you're in vancouver we're all sweating <laughs> Mario's hot in Calgary. So I think, you know, we're in a heat wave, but um, nevertheless, you know, people just aren't going out as much. I mean, public pools, uh, you know, uh, some are braving them, but I don't know if I would at this point. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough time for, you know, all apparel retailers, be it swimwear or be it uh, uh, other fashion. I mean, I mean, you know, the parent company for Moore's men's clothing is uh, probably giving away too much information here, but the parent, you know, parent company for Moore's is looking at filing for bankruptcy. They're American based. And uh, I mean, what does Moore sell men's suits for the most part? Uh, you know, how, how many men are wearing suits right now? Fair, fair. Well, and I think that is pretty much a wrap. Craig, thank you for going through the popular content from Retail Insider over the past week. And thank you to our listeners for being with us today. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and we'd appreciate it if you left a review with your podcast provider to help others find us too. And just a gentle reminder, we do have an email newsletter that you can subscribe to that goes out every weekday morning. And it has a link to the Canadian news from around the web that we've curated from the previous day, as well as links to our recently published articles exclusive to Retail Insider. If you go to our website, retail-insider.com, you can find the subscribe area towards the bottom of our main page, and then you can get that email into your inbox every morning. So thanks everyone for listening. And Craig, thanks for chatting and chat with you next week. Yeah, and thank you so much for everyone who has tuned in today to listen to this.